Hello, hello. It's been a long time since the last season on cultured meat. We went into hermit mode researching for this season on plastic alternatives. There is so much greenwashing in this field, it's hard to differentiate fact from fiction. In this episode, you will find out why replacing plastics is so crucial, not only for the environment, but also for your personal health. We will share some research results on microplastic toxicity. You'll also hear from Nick, my co-host of this episode. Let's jump right in. You're listening to season two on plastic alternatives. Let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green. For resources and to get involved, visit redtogreen.solutions. And I'm your host, Marina Schmidt. Nick, you have been supporting the creation of the second season on plastics by doing industry research, by helping out finding interesting reports, articles, people to interview. So I'm very excited to talk to you for the beginning of season two. Yeah, for sure. It's cool to be here. So you mentioned ditching plastics is potentially the best solution in a number of cases. Does that mean ditching plastics entirely, the issues of bioplastics or compostable alternatives? That's all stuff that we'll cover in this season, right? Yeah, I think the the issue is where do we get our feedstock from? And as long as it's petroleum-based, it's pretty much per definition not sustainable because plastics tend to be downcycled and the majority of plastic never gets recycled. Globally, it's 10%, which is ridiculous. But this is also a topic that's a human health issue, apart from just being an environmental issue. Plastics have been found to absorb harmful chemicals and release them upon ingestion. These are, for example, persistent pesticides like DDT, flame retardant chemicals like PCBs, so plastics are increasing their concentrations by order of magnitudes. You can imagine them as sponges, which release these toxins once they are in the body. They're also known to concentrate the pollution by factors of up to a million, for example, with PCBs. And that's actually how environmentalists sample the pollution levels in oceans by using plastic as a measurement If a herring eats some brine shrimp and a cod eats some herring, the tuna eats the cod, and then we, when we eat the tuna, get the all-inclusive package of all of the accumulated toxins. And so Americans eat, drink, and breathe more than 74,000 microplastic particles every year. Therefore, plastic is not something that accumulates somewhere just in a third world country. It comes back to haunt us through the water we drink, through the food we eat, and it has been found in various food sources, like even honey and beer. If you're interested to find more about that, we will link to various studies and sources on our website. And when it comes to well-reviewed scientific literature on the topic, the best source, and one of the best sources for sure, that I found so far is nutritionfacts.org. They do reviews on the latest nutrition research and do such a great job of comparing the different studies and also giving some context. Interesting. So why are we focusing on 
plastic alternatives specifically in the food space? So 30% of all plastics are used for packaging and the food industry is one of the major contributors to that, <laughs> if you can call it that, and especially single-use plastics, which is such a pity if you think about that. It's just being wrapped once, you eat it, you throw it away, especially in the gastronomy sector. This may just be used for 30 minutes just to bring the food from a shop home uh, to your apartment. Therefore, tackling the topic in the food industry is especially worthwhile. And also, it's quite behind compared to other industries. Switching to more sustainable packaging is a bit more challenging in the food industry. Why is that? Well, because with food, you have always the issue of potential contamination. And from the point of consumption, there's lots of stuff that can go wrong. So good packaging serves the purpose of transporting the food in a safe and efficient way. And also, when you talk to people selling products in retail stores, they will always talk to you about the value of good packaging, how it looks, how it feels in driving sales. Food packaging has a central role in reducing food waste. At the same time, that's one of the arguments where we really need to dig a bit deeper and question that. Because if you look at food waste, and I've been looking through various reports today, there are very many topics and issues related to that. It's not just the packaging. Apparently, between 30 to 50% of food gets wasted, even though we are packaging everything in the most ridiculous amounts. I think if we want to change to sustainable packaging, companies working on these solutions need to get enough funding and enough exposure to be able to optimize and scale their solutions, to be able to then create packaging which serves a similar need as plastics without having the slight side effect that it will contaminate the oceans and also be harmful to humans and be fossil fuel based. You know, because the central problem is that within the space, you can find a lot of arguments done in a well-meaning state and with good intentions that say, well, but this isn't the ideal solution. But the issue is we don't need an ideal solution. We right now just need a solution that's less shit. Sorry for being <laughs> blunt on that. <laughs> we, we can't postpone switching just because we are like, yeah, but this solution is not perfect and this solution is not perfect. We just need to shift gradually to less shitty solutions. And well, and as that shift happens, we'll have more research and development in that area and then those solutions will improve over time, right? Exactly. And they need to get that initial funding to be able to improve. Yes, exactly. Okay, so that's a pretty good segue into uh, the next part of what are some of the things that we've learned so far while researching for this season? Well, actually, one thing that you shared was incredibly insightful it was the Plastic Wars documentary. And maybe you can talk a bit about that. Yeah, so that, that Plastic Wars documentary was 
kind of mind-blowing to me, some of the insights that they revealed about the greenwashing and the arguments from people with good intention in the plastics industry, kind of pushing a narrative for increasing recycling. But like you mentioned earlier, globally, about 10% of plastics are recycled. And so there's this really difficult separation between this conversation of recycling plastic and and moving away from plastic and how that recycling argument is is kind of just used to continue the consumption of plastic. Mm, yes, exactly. It started out with the first campaign on recycling featuring a Native American who is actually Italian. <laughs> it's just an actor. <laughs> what a lie. And showing him being devastated by the land filled with plastic and then saying something along the lines of Americans started the issue, Americans can stop it. Yeah, so the name of the advertising campaign was Keep America Beautiful. And so this Plastic Wars documentary also got into talking about some of the environmental movements that picked up this narrative of recycling plastic and that even showed like Greenpeace mm. um, having that big activism campaign where they put a banner on some ship to increase recycling awareness. And mm. that's something that Greenpeace has now recognized that they bought into. Mm. The head of Greenpeace said, well, we have been naive uh, to optimistic about the potential of recycling. A lot of the former executives of the plastic industry were admitting that they never actually believed in recycling being a really scalable long-term solution. It's a thing that one could start questioning, okay, how much should I actually look at reducing my amount of plastic consumption, reusing or recycling? Interestingly, in the debates, the last part, recycling, gets a lot of attention. And that's actually the issue. I think it's not like we don't need recycling. It's just that it has been used as a way to dominate the conversation, to crowd out the topics of reducing and reusing. Kind of to piggyback off that, one of the things they focused on in this documentary was the labeling of plastics and how confusing that labeling process was, where there's this recycling logo with a number inside of it. I don't know uh, mm. how that differs in Europe versus the United States, but it, it gives this idea that all of those products can be recycled. And even if a product can technically be recycled, maybe in a lab, oftentimes those products can't be recycled by an industrial manufacturer and how a lot yeah. of those products then get shipped overseas, say for a number of years, it was to China. Now I believe it was Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. China banned the import of plastics in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And even if the plastic could get recycled and is in a state that it could be recycled, it doesn't necessarily mean it will be recycled because maybe there's nobody who wants to pay the appropriate price for this kind of plastic. Fossil fuel prices tend to be extremely low. 
this is just hard to make recycling viable in terms of economics, then you have an interesting similarity between the issues of cultured meat and plastic alternatives. If cultured meat goes to market, it needs to compete with meat that has received so much government subsidies and therefore it's quite unfair. And also here, bioplastics need to compete with an industry which is heavily subsidized. If these new industries would get, in terms of percentage, as much money additionally, I would be very curious to see how that would change the costs associated with these products. Yeah, definitely. And and another interesting question, kind of the same type, is if we created an economic cost for the environmental or, or health damages from uh, the animal agriculture industry or from the plastic industry, then mm. how would that change the price of these goods and, and push us towards a more sustainable system? Mm, absolutely. So yeah, I think we both can very much recommend the documentary called Plastic Wars. It goes about an hour and you can find it for free on YouTube. We will also link to that again on the website, redtogreen.solutions, red to green written as one word, dot solutions. Let's move on to a personal packaging challenge. So to give some context, for the last month, I've been doing a little personal packaging challenge. It's nothing too fancy. It's just being very aware of what packaging I'm buying and trying to make personal decisions on which kind of packaging I want to support. Because I think we vote with our money for the kind of world we want to live in. And interestingly, me doing that has also helped quite a few of my friends to just become more aware of it. Doing this packaging challenge made me realize how much of the plastic that we create is actually hidden. Anything that's more processed tends to go hand in hand with more plastic along the supply chain and also likely more CO2 emissions. What are some of the steps you've taken in this personal packaging challenge and how has it changed the way you shop? Interestingly, I think that was the best way to switch to a healthier diet because naturally eating more fruits and vegetables, which are non-packaged, ends up being the best thing you can do. I actually also stopped eating plant-based meat alternatives or dairy alternatives because I didn't find anything that's not packaged in plastic in that category. And still now, because I'm still keeping some of the habits from that month, I realized that it ends up being the best health booster because when I do things just for myself, like, oh, I just want to eat healthy, then I always have the argument of, yeah, but like indulging yourself is also healthy, you know, for mental health. <laughs> and then, whoops, I end up eating something uh, processed. When it comes to looking at environmental impact, I can't wiggle out of that that easily. I think some things you just do for your own conscience, just as a part of what kind of human do I want to be. 
I had this discussion with an economist who, to everything that I would argue about in a in value based terms, he would say, "Well, I don't go voting because if you look at the statistics and the." blah, 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 then my vote doesn't make a difference. I'm like, well, then if you use that line of argument, then actually nothing you do ever makes a difference. Um, It's about what kind of personal footprint do you want to have? And Germans, for example, I looked that up, they cause half a kilo of plastic waste each day. Each day. Imagine that. This is horrendous. And we're a nation recycling a lot. And we better be because (laughs) we are horrible in terms of plastic consumption. And yeah, America is also close to that. Yeah. And also, you kind of mentioned how just by doing this yourself, you've partially influenced some of your friends. And so part of it is kind of that increasing awareness about the issue and voting with your money of I want to support X business because they're following practices that I agree with. Yeah. And then that bleeds over into some of your friends and acquaintances and they may ask you questions about it and then you can spread what you've learned in that way. Yeah. A lot of the change that we are seeing now is based on consumer pushback. When it comes to personal impact, I think the biggest impact we all have is if all of us who are in some way related to the podcast make a bit of an effort to change the practices within our companies, that will be huge. So if you work at a company and you look at the supply chain and you look where lots of waste is created and you make an effort to drive change, to move to good paper sources or to just remove all the plastic or to move to glass, etc., then your impact will be multiplied by all of the times this waste would have been created for an indefinite number of days, weeks, years possibly. This is such a leverage and such a personal power that everyone has to drive change within their own organizations. Yeah, and we'll show people how to do that throughout the season, right? Yes, it will be a confusing road, but we will get there. (laughs) (laughs) Nick, it has been a pleasure and lots of fun to chat with you for the first episode of the season. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. If you like Red to Green, remember to subscribe and share it with your colleagues or friends who could be interested. To volunteer in industry research, marketing, or writing articles, check out redtogreen.solutions. There you will also find resources mentioned in the episodes. Let's move the food industry from harmful to healthy, from polluting to sustainable, from red to green.